to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Just for any visitors, we're working our way through the book of Acts. I'm going to uh, read from this morning from verse 29. Acts 5, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard, heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all of the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thea disappeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they offered them, sorry, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So read God's precious word. We're going to passage that we read earlier. Last time we were in Acts chapter 5, we noted that the apostles had been arrested and then they had been delivered from prison and upon their release, they continued to preach the full message. And because of that, then they are up before the religious core of the day. And it's interesting, and touched on it last time, that as they stand there with these charges before them, they have no desire, as it were, to defend themselves. Their only desire is to declare the gospel, the full gospel. And it is that 
that desire that has actually got this core of religious people full of anger and of rage to such an extent that they wanted the death penalty passed on the apostles. Jealousy and rage led them to be murderers in the making. And before we look at the, the intervention by, by Gamaliel and, and the response of the apostles, I want us to consider just for a little bit longer something I touched on slightly last time. We, I mentioned it when we looked at chapter 4, verse 19, and it appears here again in chapter 5, verse 29. But there's three things for us to consider. There's obeying, there's considering, and there's proclaiming. But firstly, obeying, and that's the kind of thing I want to touch back on. Peter, along with the other apostles, stand before this court and they tell them clearly, we must obey God rather than men. Peter and John took a similar stance back in chapter 4 where they say to the judge, well, or to the court, judge for yourself. Whether it is right in God's sight to, to obey you rather than God. So there is obviously here a conflict of interest going on. Who are they to obey? Are they to obey God or are they to obey man? Are they to obey the rulers of the day? They had been told by the Sanhedrin not to preach and not to teach in the name of Jesus... But Jesus had told them to do that very thing. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So they obeyed Jesus. And when they were arrested, and we saw this last time, when they were arrested, when they were put in prison, and, and as they are miraculously delivered, they are told to go and tell the people the full message of this new life. And that is what they do. They obey God rather than obeying man. And it is upon being brought before this court again and in response to the high priest's question that this stance is taken by the apostles. We must obey God rather than man. And we know and we will see what that meant for Peter and for the other apostles. But that was 2,000 years ago. What about us today? What about us today? As believers, as disciples, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can this stance of obeying God rather than man be an abiding principle for all of God's people today? You don't need me up here to tell you that we are living in challenging times where increasingly governments of all shades and colors, which as Romans 13 reminds us, is established by God, but nonetheless are continually passing laws that run contrary to the word of God. Who are we to obey? 
same-sex marriage. The whole utterly confusing, damaging, and unbiblical proposal on gender rights. For instance, I shared this on Thursday night at a prayer meeting. The Scottish government currently has a proposal, the consultation of it finished on Thursday. But the Scottish government currently has a proposal where people can self-declare their sex. They're looking to lower the age to do that from 18 to 16 for a sex change certificate. And give legal recognition to those who claim to be neither male nor female. So-called non-binary. This is the world in which we are living in, brothers and sisters. As Christians, what do we do? Now, I recognize, I recognize that, that there are issues and uh, issues here, and, and, and now is not really the time to, to develop them in relation to these things. But however, when we have a government, and no matter who it is, so it's not a political point I'm making here, okay? I want to make that crystal clear. But when we have a government, and no matter who it is, seeking to pass such law, what do we do as Christians? Do we just stand back? We should be on our knees. We should fear for our children and for our grandchildren. Genesis is clear. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. How many, how, many would be interested, how many of you are aware of this consultation that is going on, of this law that is going past? Yeah, four or five of us. We need to waken up. And we need to seek God. And yes, we are commanded to be subject to the governing authorities. Scripture is clear on that. But there are times when as believers, we need to take a stand. And it can be, and indeed it will be, I believe increasingly so, costly. One writer gives two situations where this is necessary. When believers are required to deny their faith in Christ or explicitly disown their own, then we have to obey God. And when the state requires Christians to take part in an action which is in clear conflict with their Christianly, biblically informed conscience, we are called to be salt and we are called to be light. John Stott comments that since the state's authority has been delegated to it by God, and Romans is clear about that, we are to submit to it right up to the point where obedience to the state would involve disobedience to God. It is God that we are to obey. And that goes in all matters, matters and in all areas. 
Read in the Old Testament, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And how obedient are we? How prepared are we to obey God rather than man? What was it Jesus said to his disciples? If you love me, you will obey me. How obedient are we to his commands? Love one another as I have loved you. How is that? Unconditionally. Believe in me, but be baptized as well. There's a challenge to those who have turned to Christ but never yet been baptized. Do the works that has been prepared for you in advance, as Ephesians 2 makes clear. Obedience to God is, I believe, a hallmark, a characteristic of every true disciple. No, Tim sums it up, doesn't it? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Are you obeying God? Secondly, we read of considering. The response of the core to, to Peter and the other apostles' defense of the gospel made them so furious, so furious that they wanted to put them to death. As I said, the jealousy that they were filled with, as verse 17 tells us, that they were filled with jealousy, that jealousy has so, so gripped them that they would have these disciples, these apostles, killed there and then. And make no mistake, that is something that they could easily have been able to get carried out. So this is no idle threat. However, we are told that a Pharisee, and the Pharisees had different beliefs to, to the Sadducees, but a Pharisee called Gamaliel stood up and told them to kind of think. He says, consider, carefully consider what you intend doing to these men. Many of the scholars make the point that Gamaliel was the most at this, that time, the most famous and respected teacher, rabbi of the time. And indeed, Acts chapter 22, verse 3, tells us that Paul was actually one of his students. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And his intervention here appears to lessen the court's desire to have the apostles killed. He brings into the procedure a certain amount of calmness. 
And he orders that, that the apostles be put outside so that they might discuss actually what to do with them. And, and, and then Gamaliel speaks of, of two of what he sees similar situations and incidents from, from recent history. Times when a, a, a particular leader kind of rallied people behind them and they claimed to be somebody, but, but once this leader was, was killed, his followers then all kind of disappeared, dispersed, sorry, and it all petered out and it all came to nothing. And he appears, doesn't he, to show a certain amount of wisdom as he says to, to the rest of the court, look, leave these men alone. Let, let them go. There is, if you like, a kind of wait and see. And he reminds them that if what is going on just now is of human origin, then it will fail. However, if it is of God, then in trying to stop these men, actually you're fighting against God. So take a break, take time out, consider. And this appears to persuade them. And it seems to work. Because the threat of death is lifted. Although, as we read, they did receive a flogging, and generally that would have probably meant 39 lashes. And I guess that the apostles, and even us today, have got much to be grateful to Gamaliel for it enabled the apostles to continue with their work of evangelizing. However, as I was thinking this through this, this week in study, there were a couple of things that really were kind of going through my mind. One is this. Can we always follow the principle that Gamaliel speaks of here that if a group is seen to succeed, then it must be of God. Here's a good question for you to discuss. Is everything that says it is, and everything that appears from the outside to be successful, from God? Well, I think we have to say certainly today, no. We have to take everything that is said and everything that is taught and everything that is done, we have to take it back, brothers and sisters, to Scripture. There are certain fundamental truths that must not and cannot be contradicted. That is why, and we, I made play of this last time that then put an emphasis on it. That is why when these disciples were released from prison, they were told to go and declare the full message. 
They weren't to water it down. They weren't to dilute it. They were to declare the full message. And yes, we have to be wise in these matters. And we have to realize that, yes, it may very well be of God, and we praise his name for it. But also, it may not. Sadly, much of what passes as Christianity today needs at least to be questioned. And Scripture is our plumb line for it. The other thing was this. Kind of puzzled me a little bit and had me scratching my head and asking questions of it. But anyway, it seems to me that Gamaliel kind of made a basic error in his two historical references. Both men he names where he tells the court killed. And that was that. However, Peter has been at great pains to express the truth that yes, Jesus was killed, but actually Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus rose again and that God raised him from the dead and that God has made him both prince and saviour. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a vital difference here. And in his call to, to consider, he misses out this great truth. He issues to the core a kind of wait and see. Well, friends, in relation to the claims of Jesus Christ, that is a very dangerous thing to do. Wait and see or remain neutral is not an option. Life and death is in the balance here. It calls for a decision. Jesus Christ is either who he says he is or he is not. The full message that the apostles have been preaching and has been passed down to us is either life and truth or it is not. And there's maybe some here this morning who are probably in this kind of wait and see or in this kind of neutrality, neutral position. All I can say, friend, is today is the day of salvation. What else are you waiting for? How long will you remain undecided? You see, Gamaliel was a very respected man. He was a very clever man. He, he was even a very godly man in some senses. But as far as we know, he dies waiting, wondering if all of this was from God. If Jesus really was who he said he was. Please don't make the same mistake. Consider the claims, yes. Test the claims. Yes, Scripture will stand up to it. But decide this day 
who you will follow. Because time is short and eternity is long. There is an urgency. So what are the apostles going to do? Well, we move from obeying and considering to proclaiming. And we find that after considering Gamaliel's suggestion, uh, they decide to have them flogged. And again, what they do is they order them not to speak in the name of Jesus. That's now the second time. Second time that such an order has been given. And this time, there is physical punishment that has been meted out. Yet notice the response of the apostles. Verse 41. Doesn't that kind of really challenge you this? Verse 41. They left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. <laughs> rejoicing. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name. They had been obedient to God rather than man. Perhaps their minds, I don't know, perhaps their minds thought back to, to the Sermon on the Mount when, when Jesus told them, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. See, we should always store up God's word in our heart because we never know when it might really reach into a particular situation in our own lives. And these apostles, they are suffering because of their obedience and of their commitment to Christ. And Christian, what I will say here is there is a cost in following Jesus. There is a cost in following Jesus. And as we work our way through Acts, we will see that suffering is, all, is almost an essential feature of evangelism and church growth. And are we prepared to pay that cost? Whatever the cost that might be, for our brothers and sisters in countries like North Korea, it's imprisonment, it's abandonment, it's, some of them it's death. For us here in the kind of easy east, sometimes it's our time. But there is a cost and there is a commitment to following Jesus Christ. And they're prepared here to pay it. Now, none of us, if we're honest, none of us particularly want to. And we don't kind of go looking for it. However, I think that every believer should have a, some kind of understanding of what I would call a theology of suffering. If you want to live for Jesus, if you want to live for Jesus, then you will be persecuted. And that may come in different forms, but it will come. Paul writes to Titus, doesn't he? 
Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So be ready. And when it comes, and when you suffer for the name, and, and that's the important thing, okay? They're suffering here for the name of Jesus. Then cultivate a spirit of joy. You see, these believers, it kind of amazed me this week in study, these believers did not sit about moping and complain, complaining and kind of saying, woe is us. They didn't start a petition. They didn't go on a march. No. Notice what they did. And remember what they've just been told. They've just been flogged. And they've just been told not to preach. And what do we read? Such is the urgency. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Don't you sense the urgency there, brothers and sisters? They didn't know how long they had. And therefore they set about making Jesus known. One writer speaks of it being incessant evangelism. There's a phrase for you. Incessant evangelism. And neither threats nor beatings was going to stop them. They had a message to proclaim. They had a message of good news. They had a message that would bring new life. And they got on with the task of taking that message to those who had yet hadn't heard it. We can learn so much just from that little verse in its own. Notice how, and I just cover a couple of things here. Notice how it was a daily endeavor. They didn't hold a week commission once a year. It was a daily endeavor. Every day they witnessed for the Lord. Every day. Notice how they also do it, as it were, not just every day, but everywhere. <laughs> in, in the temple courts where many of the religious people would gather and, and from house to house. As one writer says, they used every opportunity and paid whatever price was necessary to further the cause. That really gripped me this week. They used every opportunity and paid whatever price was necessary to further the cause. And I had to stop and I had to ask myself, how important is reaching out to others with this good news, of proclaiming the good news, of offering new life in Jesus, evangelism? How important is that to me, to you, to us. You see, evangelism, and we'll see it as we work through Acts, evangelism was the very heartbeat of the early church. Every day and everywhere they sought to present Jesus. And that's the important point because notice it was Jesus that they proclaimed. 
It was Jesus that they spoke of. The very name that they were told not to speak about. I think it was Warren Wearsby that makes a point that, that the early church, the early church did not go about arguing religion or condemning the establishment. They simply told people about Jesus and urged people to put their trust in him. And we'll see as we work our way through Acts how effective that proved to be. Because that's what evangelism is. It's telling people about Jesus and what he's done for you, what he's done for me. But it's also important that we see that they both taught and proclaimed. You see, proclamation of the gospel must be balanced with instruction. That's why youth Bible studies and growth groups are so important. It's not just about who and what we believe, but why. Why we believe. That is why the early church devoted themselves to, among other things, the apostles' teaching. And it's why we should do it also. What if each one of us this morning committed ourselves afresh to the proclaiming of this good news and that every day, wherever we went, we looked for opportunities to share Jesus, not in some kind of manufactured way, that can be sometimes quite cringing, if I'm honest. But just as we live our lives as salt and light, let us tell people, let us show people Jesus and proclaim to them this full message that brings you life. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's be beautiful feet in this coming week, taking something of Jesus to a lost and to a needy world. Let us hear the call of the kingdom. We're going to stand and sing that very song. Hear the call of the kingdom.